Well, good morning, church family. For any of you that I haven't met, uh, my name is Ethan Carter. I'm a ministry intern here that the church has graciously accepted in, in training me and, and just helping me get my feet wet again in ministry. Uh, I am in seminary right now, and we're just, my wife and I and my son, we're just so thankful to be a part of this congregation right here. I could probably stand here and just talk about all the different people that have are, are beginning to mean a lot to us and then have done so much for us. Uh, last week I was up here working remotely uh, for my hospice job, and I got to see three ladies give their heart for the kids back there. Uh, I watched Miss Sue, Elisa Tatum, uh, and Rebecca, the work that they've done, the sweat that they put back there. Uh, sometimes I see different people come through and, and offer help. Um, the work that Jared's done, that Pastor Nathan's done, the work that, that Lynn has done, the finance committee, um, all the gyms that I've met, the Wednesday night crew that goes out and feeds our homeless. Can I tell you that that makes an impression on me a as a, a young man coming into ministry? The, the sacrificial work that I've observed, that I see you guys pour in day in and day out, that's the church. That's the hands and the feet of Christ. And that's who I desire to emulate. And I'm appreciative that you let me watch and learn and participate with you. I'm pr appreciative that Pastor Nathan has let me come in and de deliver the word today as we're going to continue with our study here momentarily. I'm just extremely grateful, and especially being a Cajun from Louisiana who is oftentimes a half a, half a bubble out of plum and can't think right, thank you for putting up with me. Uh, we've been in Oklahoma since 2011. The military brought, brought my family here. So you could say we've... Well, I shouldn't get into college football, right? My wife is from Texas. I, I took her from Texas to Oklahoma. So she grew up a, a Longhorn, but she graduated from OU. So we, we literally have a, a OU football, a Texas football, and LSU football in the house. So we're pretty confused. I don't think my father-in-law wanted me to share that actually though. That's okay. It'll be all right. I'm kidding. The point is, uh, even though we, we are not native Oklahomans, the way that you have received us and accepted us, it makes us proud to be here. And I say from here for right now. I want to pray before we get started. Uh, we're going to be talking about can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? I'm sure that some of you have been following along in your study uh, from Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. But let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you're doing in the midst of what's going on in the world. Thank you that nothing takes you by surprise. Thank you that you have ordained our steps, that you have just desired and required us to be obedient to you. For each one that is hurting, that is going through crisis because of this crisis, as we're trying to keep this, this social distance, as jobs are being lost, layoffs happening, people getting sick, Father, we come to you and we ask that you would reveal yourself to us. Show us the way that we're to walk and may we honor you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. So the question, can anyone keep 
the law of God perfectly. Well, I went to the source about that. I went to Miss Sue. I said, Miss Sue. And she said, nope. She said, no one can't. So the sermon's over. Thanks for participating. No. There's more to that, right? There's a lot more to that story. Romans 3, 10 through 12. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one, none who understands, none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They've gone together and become unprofitable. There's none who does good, no, not one. And if we can go back to what, what the book had put out there concerning the question. Since the fall, no mere human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly, but consistently breaks it in thought, word, and deed. How many of you wrestle with yourself in thought and word and deed daily? How many of you wish that you didn't have to wrestle with yourself in thought and word and in deed daily? The great man of God, Andrew Murray, said, the holiest will ever be the humblest. There is none holy but God. So heaven, I need you. I need you today. I, I messed up again. I hate myself, but oh God, would you deliver me from this power of sin and Satan? Isn't that a daily prayer? If we don't pray it, we at least think it. I just I messed up again and again. And there are, this topic that we're talking about today, there are plenty of greater thinkers, uh, theologians who could do a lot better job. So I'm going to give you what I have today. As a student, I'm going to do my best. There's tons of passages of scripture that would cover this in its entirety. But if you don't mind bearing with me today, I'm going to give you what I got from my heart. I sought the Lord and I want to give you what I have today. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love vaunteth not itself up. It's not puffed up and it doesn't seek its own. When we talk about keeping the law of God perfectly, we have to bring in the principle of spiritual disciplines. At least, I think we do. Because the spiritual disciplines, you know, Bible intake, prayer, fasting, uh, journaling, quiet time with God. Those types of things, they're not so I can feel better about myself. They're produced to produce Christ-likeness on the inside of me. There is a continuous victory that we experience in Christ as we mortify the deeds of the flesh. That's what scripture says in Romans 8. Here's what I know, though. When I've, when I've done it and I've given it my best, and I still, and I turn, and I look at Lauren, and I'm upset and angry in the moment, and I say something that I regret, because she's so kind, I hate doing that, you know. Romans 5 reminds me, Ethan, where sin doth abound, grace abounds much more. You see, grace's pur purpose in our life is all about deliverance. We talk about grace quite frequently, but it's all about deliverance from the power of sin and Satan in our lives. You see, the greater the sin, think of the greatest sin you can think of. The greater the sin, the more prolific the grace. Sin abounds and grace says, okay, watch what I do now. 
Go ahead, sin. Go ahead, crisis. Go ahead, selfishness. Go ahead, disruption of family. Everything you can think of. And grace is behind saying, watch what I do. May we yield to that grace. As we experience the grace of God, we are to be well aware of our own sin. Not, not to shy away from it. We should be well aware and even humbled by it. In experiencing this grace that accompanies sin, I'm going to read you three passages that Paul reminded us to take the attitude of. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9 through 10. And if you have your Bible, I, I encourage you to open it, but I wanted to intentionally read some of these to you. Um, so you can think about them. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 through 10. It's a reminder from Paul about the attitude that we should take. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 10. Paul says, I'm the least of the apostles. Can you imagine him saying that? I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace that was within me. Paul comes out and says, I'm the least. Do you think that he remembers what he used to do? It's the law of God. I'll say it again. Do you think that he remembers what he used to do that was against the law of God? Absolutely. He just told us what he did. Ephesians 3.8 he reminded to me, who is least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He again takes that posture of less of me and more of you. And he doesn't just, I don't think that he takes a posture, just a little feedback. I don't think that he takes the posture so much as he, that's who envelops him. That's who he identifies with. That's who remains constantly on his person. It's not something that he puts on when he comes to, to church. It's not something that he has to clothe himself in every day. But this attitude of Paul, the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus, envelops who Paul was. The last scripture, 1 Timothy 1, verse 13 through 15. I'm going to read it to you. It's just another example of Paul's attitude about himself. It says, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, I obtained mercy from God because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. The grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful and worthy saying of all acceptance. He said that in Christ Jesus, who came in to save sinners, I'm chief. So Paul is writing this in his modern day time, knowing that we would read it, and he didn't say, <clears throat> I got my doctorate degree. I'm president of the world. I'm, he didn't carve out in his own little environment this figurehead that we should all acknowledge as great. Oh, but he did. He did. Because greatness to him 
was less of him and more of Christ. Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So part of the reminder today for myself is, is Ethan, you know you can't keep the law of God perfectly. There's too much scripture that supports that, and you know yourself better than anybody else except God. What attitude can you take on? In spite of not being able to keep that law perfectly, what should my position be? Let me follow what Paul did. Let me follow what Christ did. But I, I don't want you to be discouraged today. I'm going to throw some zingers in there, but I, I ultimately want to encourage you today. Looking back at Romans 5, we said it earlier, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Don't be afraid of your sin. I want you to, this is what I do. I take my sin when I've really blown it. And most of the times when I blow it, I say something that I regret. I take my sin and I say, heaven, I am so sorry. This is unbelievable that I've done this again. And I, I guess I won't do it here, but I lay out to God my feelings and my heart and my emotion because that's the best thing that I can offer him. You know, his spotlight is already on me. Why not just yield to it? When's the last time that you yielded to the spotlight of God? He already knows it's there. Because what it does is it begins to transform the heart. It begins to change the heart as we let that light come in. But if I close it up and I keep it hidden and say, no, nobody needs to see that. Well, then that thing's just going to remain foul. But is there anyone greater that we can trust with our deepest, darkest secrets and sin? Is there anyone besides God? Maybe. But I know that the, the position of the Father is like this. He's at the end of the road in the driveway, waiting for the son to come home, waiting for the daughter to come home. He doesn't care that he took all his money. Probably he knew that at the end, the end, money's really not all that valuable when we go on. No, I'm not going to talk about not stewarding your money properly, but I'm making a point here. He's at the end of the driveway. Just come on. I want you. So with that posture that, that Christ has taken, let me give him my all. Why? Because he's going to give me a robe, and he's going to put a ring, and he's going to slay the fatty calf, and we're going to have... And that's, a, that's an example of how Christ runs to you. Run to him. Give him your all. Andrew Murray reminded, it's not sin, but it's God's grace showing a man, ever reminding him what a sinner that he was. The grace of God doing that. That will keep this man truly humble. It's not sin, but it's grace that will indeed make me know that I'm a sinner and make the sinner's place of deepest self-abasement the place I never leave. But this is a great man of faith who has is, is taken a position of remembering who he was, humbling himself. So he, he's not focusing on self to set my heart and my joy on the grace of God delivering me from the law of death, but remind yourself who you were without God. Give thanks for the power of his grace. God, that my thoughts, that my heart, 
maybe most importantly, that my affections, that thing that really turns me, that all of this would be occupied with you. Now, it's easy to come up and say things like that. It's harder <laughs> for me to go do exactly what I'm saying. I know the truth is in there, though, and I'm casting it forth for me to be reminded because you and I are guilty of sin and death. We're guilty. I know that the, the validation that comes with salvation and redemption is not something to be trifled with. It's, it's not something to take lightly because of the magnitude of what Christ did on the cross. It, it was a cost that no one should ever have had to pay. He made it on our behalf. This one that knew no sin. He didn't know my sin, my struggles. He had umpteen times in heaven, umpteen times, the unconditional love that, that a dog would bring to his master, if you can think of that imagery for a minute. This God who took on flesh was never born. He always existed. But had to bear the confusion of the Father forsaking him. He, he, man, I did, I did all this for, and now my Father forsakes me. Why have you forsaken me? Summer of 2017, I had my dogs and I was visiting my great uncle in Louisiana. <coughs> And they were out running. Uncle Johnny has a lot of acreage. I don't know, 100, 200, something like that. So they're running, and I'm inside and talking, and it's getting later. Finally, I don't see them running anymore. So I said, okay, Uncle John, I'm going to go scout it out. Well, they're gone. And his acreage connects to other acreage, and it ends up being a lot more than what, than what I'd just said there so they're gone on quite a bit so any of you that met my dog Bailey she's a skittish collie lab she's loyal uh, she wants to make sure that you're not a bad guy and then she'll then she'll love you to death she has many boyfriends but Jack he just he's just Jack he's a pit bull mix just wants to play wants to love wants to have a good time but these are city dogs who get their nails done regularly. Out in the country. Lost. Oh, but dogs come home. They know it well. Okay. Jack finally made it back about an hour later. But my precious little Bailey, who we got at six months old. Little sweetheart thing. She was, she was gone. She was gone. Lauren was in Oklahoma. And I had to give up the search. It was like 10 o'clock at night. I didn't have a voice. You're speaking in no voice. I went to bed and didn't sleep. I just cried because I know what's out there. We got alligators. Not too many. I've seen one, Let me, but there are more. Uh, coyotes, you can hear them. Bailey's not really going to put up a big fight, you know. Um, I handed out some flyers that next morning, woke up early. 
Lauren was 10 times of kind of hot and worried and wanted to fly there. I said, no, just hold off. We'll, we'll just do what we can. Have you ever gone through a season of life where you thought all hope was gone? Maybe not all hope, but a considerable portion of your hope was gone? Didn't know how you were going to get through it? Maybe you went to sleep knowing that you royally screwed up. How in the world am I going to get out of this? Maybe you committed the worst sin that you ever have before. You said the meanest things to the person that you love the most just because you were hurting on the inside. I have. Sure have. I'm only 34, about to be 35. Just ask Lauren. Actually, don't ask her. Thank you. The other morning, I even woke up with something afflicted on my mind. I couldn't shake it. And just full transparency, I just just threw up my words on Lauren. And she was like, you, you know, I had to apologize for getting angry with her because of something that was on my mind. And when I'm, I'm sharing that because I, we wrestle with sin, right? Paul cried in Romans 7.24. I used the word cry, but he exclaimed, or he did something with emotion. He said, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin? That feeling of needing to be delivered. The wrestle is real, folks. And if you don't wrestle, please just ask, tell me what you charge, and I'm going to come seek your advice. So back to Bailey being lost. It's the next morning. I loaded up with, I think I had a gun. I had Jack with me some water, some food. I told Uncle Johnny goodbye, which later he told me he didn't think it was going to be a good idea for me to do all that. He's a real smart guy. I thought Jack would lead me straight to her. You know, dogs, they have this thing and they communicate and, you know, that's why I took Jack. Well, he decides he's going to go sniff and scout out the squirrels and so I'm hollering for Bailey, and Jack's walking with me. We kept walking farther and farther into the woods where I'd never ventured before until we came up to a, a, uh, a hunting lease, and there was a fence line there. And again, talking about my Cajun ingenuity, I thought it would be best to dig a hole and crawl under the fence line because I was tired of walking in all the, the mess on this side. So I did. I dug, pulled Jack under, but now we're on the hunter's side. And we're just walking along that fence line. So we're a mile away from the house. I've been walking for an hour. And I can't find her. Not on top of that, I'm lost. I, I don't have... I have a little bit of an idea where I am, but I can't really figure it out. I just kept walking to convince myself that I'm doing the right thing. You know, so I can get back there and tell Lauren, Lauren, I tried, I did my best, I walked this far. You know that feeling that you need to tell yourself you did all that you can do. Uh, like I said, I wore out my voice the night before calling for Just walking that lonely fence line. Have you ever walked that lonely fence line? wallowing in your sin because you can't keep the law of God perfectly of trying to believe when you can't see 
This coronavirus might have you in that place right now, walking some sort of a lonely fence line. And you might be holding on to your own altar at home crying, God, where in the world are you? Why did you let this happen to me? Why did you let me lose my job? You may have lost your house, behind on payments after payments, but you still want me to be nice to these people when I'm hurting this much? So let me step away for a minute from, from what we're talking about. Does anything take Jehovah by surprise? Have we not both buried and birthed different people into this world and felt that gut-wrenching heartache? If we can remember back May of 1940 when the German came in, tanks and soldiers invaded the Netherlands. Corey was 48 at the time. She was going to help her people try to escape the Nazis. So what happened was the Dutch resistance movement, they brought in the grandfather clocks into the shop. And inside those clocks was uh, mortar and bricks. <coughs> bricks and mortar. They built a false room in Corey's house. I believe they said it was eight feet by two feet. Yep. And it could hold six people in there. They also put a buzzer in there to alert those, hey, Get up there and hide real quick. The Nazis are coming. It worked for about four years because people kept coming in and out of that watch repair shop. But on February 28, 1944, there was an informant that betrayed them and told the Gestapo what was going on. So 30 people, several in the Ten Boom family, they were arrested. Nazis didn't find that secret room. But Corey's father, Casper, was 84. He was taken to prison and he died 10 days later. Corey's brother, Willem, was a minister. They had mercy on him, released him and her sister, Nolly. Over the next 10 months, Corey and her sister, Betsy, were shuttled from different prisons, concentration camps. They finally ended at Ravensbrück Concentration Camp near Berlin. It was the largest camp for women. The prisoners were used for forced labor and projects that they had. Thousands of women were executed there. Living conditions, you can imagine how they were. Harsh discipline, you can imagine how that was. But Betsy, her sister, and Corey, they conducted secret prayer services in those barracks. They smuggled a Dutch Bible in there, and they would pray in whispers so the, Germ uh, the Nazis couldn't hear them. December 1944, her sister Betsy died of starvation and lack of medical care. But Betsy gave some last words to Corey to share. She said, Corey, tell them that we must tell them what we have learned here. We must tell them that there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. They will listen to us, Corey, because we have been there. Two weeks after Betsy's death, Tin Boom was released from the camp due to the claims of a clerical error. Corey Tim Boom often recalls that miracle because shortly after she was released due to the clerical error, all the other women in that prison concentration camp were executed. And I really had to go there and think the difficulty of that experience and the God who brought them out of that experience. Do we not serve the God of hope? 
we do. If it seems like your faith is failing you, let me earnestly appeal to you to not lose heart. You can't let your faith fail you. That's what you have. You, let's seek the heart of the Father. And like I said earlier, offer him all of your affection and your raw emotion, your love as a beautiful bouquet of flowers of the, of the greatest thing that you could give him. Father, I give you my most difficult part in this most difficult season. I give you all of me. See, Job, I wish I had been there with Job just to see how that man endured what he did. And how could someone like that say, even though you slay me, I'm still going to trust you? <laughs> Imagine being a fly on the wall. Can we imagine what our pastor might be going through? Of navigating these waters right here. I can, I can guarantee you one thing, that Pastor Nathan has taken trust in the God of hope. That he's looked to the scriptures. Scriptures like Psalms 91. That he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him shall I trust. He's going to deliver me. Are we praying for pastor and his family as they're navigating this for us? Are we doing all that we can do even though we're hurting? Have you been persuaded though? I haven't been persuaded just yet. But have you been persuaded about life or death not being able to separate you from the love of God? What's the most awful thing that you can possibly think of that would happen to you? Let's just, for, for this scenario, let's say death, dying, that, that I died. Well, I know that as soon as I die, for me, as soon as I die, I'm going to be present with the Lord, to be absent with the body. So let me encourage you I don't know what each and every person is going through, and, and I'm extremely hesitant to ever act like we can just keep on doing it. You just keep trucking. No, some people are going through some real stuff. Real stuff right now. But I want to encourage you, if you can, that one foot, be the first person to walk through the church doors when they open back up. Pursue that joy of the Father again. We have a great opportunity. And he is known throughout Scripture for visiting us in our time of need. Let us seize this opportunity. May the God of all grace who has called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered for a while, may he perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So press, church. Press. And keep pressing. And keep pressing. Reach out. Something that I don't like to do when I am thinking about it, but I end up enjoying it after I do it. That Paul reminded us, I believe it was Paul, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. Are you, go are you going through something right now? Call somebody up. Because healing takes place through confession. And all that confession is, is me acknowledging, getting myself in agreement with what God has said. 
Ethan, you violated my law. I need you to return to me. <coughs> yes, sir. I want to return to you. What do you think King David did? They didn't, he didn't have a party when he messed up. But that I would bow myself low, humble myself. So back to the fence line. Walking that long, lowly fence line with Jack. And all those emotions, man. Just isolated, alone. I'm lost. And I'm, and I'm walking along. And there she is right there. On the other side of the fence. How random and how God is that. She didn't even see me. She was curled up in a ball. She smelled like possum. But when she saw me, and I saw her, and I cried, and she did her little dog emotion thing, and Jack's talking to her through the fence. Sometimes God will rescue you even if you don't do anything. Would you let him minister to your heart even while you're sitting there? When you're isolated and all alone and scared and you have no water and you have no food, you're like Bailey and you're just hoping and praying. She was back on that fence. <clears throat> I believe she was content to die. Nothing could get behind her, so she put herself up there. But her, her, her dad found her. Can we all be reminded when our dad found us. Ephesians. Here we have it up here. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, fulfilling the desires of the flesh of the mind, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love of which he loved us while we were dead, he made us alive. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, the gift of God, so no one should boast. We've heard that scripture a thousand times. Maybe not a thousand. The image that I get is, he made me alive when I was dead. So I'm walking this way, knowing that God is here. And I say, no thanks. And he says, yes thanks. And he pulls me up, because it's not about me. He made me alive when I was dead. So you're going to sin today, I'm going to sin today. You're going to sin tomorrow. We have to know that he has our best interest in mind, that he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A scripture that scares the mess out of me that we have to wrestle with is 1 John 3, 4 through 7. Whoever commits sin commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You know, he was manifested to take away our sins. In him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him doesn't sin. Whoever abides in God doesn't sin? Oh, I don't abide in God then. There's thoughts that come through our head. Whoever sin has not seen him or known him. Have I not seen him or known him? I, I, I know I sin. That's all I'll read on that. It, but if I take that at face value without doing my homework, I'm doomed. I'm doomed. Because all sin is a violation of the law of God. The very reason that Christ came 
to deliver us. The very reason he came was to deliver us out of the bondage of sin and Satan. And here I am sinning again. Am I not compatible with God? And what do you do when you sin? Well, we do confess, but we have an advocate with the Father waiting on our behalf. So I'm going to encourage you. I'm wrapping it up here. I'm going to encourage you with four things. I touched on it briefly. We know that we can't keep the law of God perfectly. So let us practice the spiritual disciplines to conform in the likeness of Christ. Because as I'm doing my part, and the Holy Spirit is doing his part, that's sanctification. And as I'm being sanctified, reading, reading, digesting, praying, sanctifying, lining myself up with God, then I'm able to walk in the Spirit. And what happens when I walk into the Spirit? I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. If I make a little checkbox, well, didn't do this one today, didn't do this one today, I'm not practicing walking in the Spirit. I reached out to a, a, a mentor, pastor of mine in Dallas, just, just on this topic, just, just to see what he had to say. And, you know, he, he brought back up that scripture again about the advocate with the Father. But First John was talking about those that practice sin. Do you, do you practice sin? Have you been doing the same sin that you've been doing for the last 20 years? Or has the power of Christ in you changed you? If I'm still doing what I did 20 years ago, and this is, this is what Pastor said here, then perhaps I need to question myself. But if God has taken over me, there's no way that I continue in the same way. Because he who abideth in him sinneth not. So whatever consumes us is what we are. And he uses great analogy. To me it was great. We're the liquid inside the canister. So if I'm in him, then Christ controls my movement. He literally controls me, and I'm just the element inside the vessel. The liquid has no say-so to when it's used. So if I'm him, in him and I'm knocked over, well, the liquid is still guarded because I'm in him. So when I mess up, essentially, I'm still safe. The responsibility of being kept is not on me, but it's on him. I just stay in him, and he's going to keep me. The question that I would ask, though, is conviction. Do you still have conviction for the things of God in your heart? Because if there's not conviction there, then perhaps we need to reevaluate. The last thing here concerning the crisis is use those Christian buzzwords again find encouragement from those around you you might have to seek it out you know my, my grandmother recounted a time during the great depression she told me this story recently too that she had a tomato and mayonnaise sandwich for a long time and then one time she, she slipped up and said to her grandmother grandmother I, I don't I'm tired of eating this and her grandmother corrected her right there and she kept eating it gratefully and happily and she, she told me that story of 
even generation, two generations removed from me, went through something. And I, and I reach back to her. I reach back to our seniors here, because you guys got lots of good free advice. If you start charging me, I'll, I'll probably pay, but please don't. So I want you to find encouragement. Pursue those spiritual disciplines. Practice them. Make sure that, you're, that we're still remaining convicted over our sin. And if we're not, let's do some heart work. Let's go to the surgeon. And then lastly, reach out to others around you. Let us pray. Father, I thank you again that you have brought us to this place that we would have an opportunity to learn from you. God, that in this hour, it's not a time for us to, to turn away to our own idols. Yes, it's good to take a break from life a little bit, but it's, it's a great opportunity for us to turn to you. I pray that you would impress upon each one, God, a desire in their heart to return to the church, to be the first to commit, to say, hey, I got to get ready in case this happens again. I got to get myself right. Father, would you minister your love by the Holy Spirit, the comforter that you've promised us to each and every one. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.